0: Hello and welcome to the Fresh Thoughts Podcast. I'm John Maver and with me today are Cappy Pop. Hi, John, what's going on? And Zachary Chastain. Hey, guys. Today we'll be talking about the ins and outs of doing a social media competitive analysis.
1: Let's get this thing started.
0: Today we're going to talk about social competitive analysis, and that's something the two of you have been working on for quite some time for one of our clients recently. And so. Just to start at the beginning, why is social competitive analysis useful? What does a company get from doing it, and how long would it take?
2: Um, well, I think it's important because today social has moved sort of under marketing or PR in most firms and becomes a very important part of both communication and digital strategy plans. So in the past, when you do competitive analysis, you do sort of competitive marketing analysis, but social has opened up the possibility to do much more detailed analysis of what competitors are doing to a level that's never been possible before. Uh, I mean, you used to have to go dig through their websites or whatever. Now it's as simple as going to a Facebook page or a LinkedIn page or a LinkedIn group or their Instagram page and getting an idea of what they're involved in. So there's a million reasons why it's beneficial. Number one, to guide your own communication. If you're starting out, for instance, and you're in an industry where there are established players, it's very easy to see what resonates with their target audience, assuming their targeting correct. That's another podcast but you can see what they're getting the most engagement on, most likes, shares, comments, et cetera. Um, seeing what they're talking about and how, you can determine a brand tone, so to speak. Sometimes they're off color, but generally the brands that are most successful have a very set sort of tone and language and way they speak to their customers. And figuring out which ones do that the best can help you guide your own communication slash digital strategy plan very easily. Um, and also to find out sort of where they're participating. So you might find an opportunity in an industry that might have a lot of competition because your competitors are not using a certain platform or a site that may be beneficial. Could be a blogging platform, could be a forum that nobody uses that is tied to your industry, could be Instagram, could be Vine or Snapchat, something like that that they're not around or not using effectively. So it gives you a competitive advantage in that regard. And also it allows you to notice how they handle brand emergencies, something like some huge explosion, how they handle negative feedback or huge criticism gives a lot of insight into how sort of agile they are and what the best way is to handle it and how they discuss that with their fans. And since all of this information is available publicly now and the tools are out there now that allow you to do that a lot more easily than it used to be, it makes it pretty important that you do this at least periodically to get an idea also helps you got advertising spend too. you can see what your competitors ads are and where they're advertising and what kind of engagement you're getting there
1: I think it's really interesting to see uh, who's doing what on which platforms like Cappy was talking about where you can identify opportunities Hmm. because one thing that I've noticed is that even though like each brand tends to have a platform where they're really strong And then some where they're just like incredibly weak. So it's interesting to look for those opportunities. And also you can learn a lot from the accounts that are really strong too. Like Cappy said, you can see what's working well and build your strategy based on that.
0: I can see. From a content perspective there's a couple things that are advantageous in doing this the first is you can test out theories for example if you thought that a particular type of post that you wanted to do or style of content might work really well with an audience chances are one of your competitors has already done something like that and you can get a feel for how it would work before you invest the time and energy into making your own secondarily you can get ideas often just looking at your competitors can spur some new thinking within your own business about what you could be doing to engage your customers more, reach them differently. So given that a competitive analysis is useful, how often should a company do a competitive analysis and how long does it take?
2: I would say a minimum of yearly, just because it can take a lot of time. I would bound the amount of time spent, or you can easily devolve into spending a full-time employee all the time nonstop, since there's pretty much an infinite number of websites or engagement platforms. I would bite off, let's say, 20 hours of time and do what you can in that area, focusing on the platforms that matter most to you or the ones you know you're going to engage in. For instance, if they're really big on Instagram, but you have no budget. And no possible way you can engage there, don't waste your time. Other than a quick cursory glance, it will tell you, hey, at some point in the future, we should probably look at this. But if you actually can't compete there or don't have the resources to do so, other than, hey, we should focus on this in the future, it doesn't necessarily warrant your time. Mm -hmm. Focus on the platforms that you have the opportunity to actually compete on and split your time out from there. Makes sense. How do you choose... Given
0: the infinite number of possibilities, how f- how deep and how far to go? Um, for example, uh, big brands might have 10 or 15 different accounts across each social network for different business units or even different tones. How do you decide which ones to go through and, and limit your scope that way?
2: Well, I think it's important to always understand the main brand account. That's a given. So for instance, let's take a large company like a tech company. Let's take an IBM. IBM would be a good example because they not only have a technical or software side, they have a services side and they have a hardware side.
0: So what would you say the top five pieces of information to gather are for a social competitive analysis report? The critical five.
2: I would say, first of all, their voice, how they talk to their customers and make a guess or propose a theory as to why. For instance, are they technical? Are they um, lighthearted and funny? Are they serious? It depends upon what their focus is, and it's an easy way to determine whether or not that brand is doing a good job a lot of times if there's a disconnect there. A lot of, for instance, uh, old school kind of blue chip firms tend to talk very seriously like they did back in the days when marketing was sort of spray and pray because that's what they know and they're sort of still entrenched in that mindset. They're getting better, but it's good to understand, number one, what voice and language they're using to speak to their customers and why. And if there's an you know an edge for you to maybe interact with your customers in a way that that up upends it. A good example would be Casper, the mattress company. Mattresses have always been a traditional model with uh, opaque pricing. Every store gets its own version of the same mattress. Customers are, you know, customers always left out in the lurch because they can't really price shop casper comes in very lighthearted, very millennial very you know all about the customer super easy we'll take care of everything sort of the warby parker approach to mattresses worked incredibly well and i'm sure they did a hell of a lot of research before they went in on social to say hey look nobody on social is talking about mattresses we got an edge here so number one voice Uh, Number two would be to find out how active they are on the different social sites. So, A, this gives you an idea of where you possibly have an edge where you can compete. For instance, if they're not participating on a platform like Instagram and you have a brand that would sort of do well visually, maybe it's a a retail brand, you're selling clothing, for instance, it might be an opportunity that you can not only work on a cutting edge platform, but beat your uh, competition to the punch. Also, it gives you an idea of how often they actually are engaging with their fans, constantly starting conversations that matter with people that actually want to have conversations with them on social, shows a maturity, a digital maturity for a brand, might again give you an opportunity to see who's killing it and why and maybe make some assumptions as to why they're doing well in the industry if they have a great relationship with their fan base on social sites. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to find out how active they are and also what time of day they're active, which is pretty easy to do with some custom calculations you can do in Excel and whatnot, or tools. Most tools allow you to do this now.
0: So on what time of day, do you find that that's harder to track now with advertising that extends the Exposure of original posts? Or are you talking about more with direct replies?
2: Direct replies, actual posts made by brands that aren't sponsored, or even if sponsored, you'll be able to see when they go live to know. It also tells you a couple of things. It tells if they've automated. For instance, it's a lot easier to use a tool to automate a lot of your digital publishing or social media efforts but a lot of people still don't use them. I can't remember I read a stat recently that only like 25% of brands are using any type of automated publishing and it's they you know they should be planning out a lot farther ahead to save their you know it saves a lot of work to be able to schedule especially if you're going through a campaign to schedule content to go out over the course of a month or a week and have it go out at specific times. It's very easy to spot companies that are doing this because they'll generally have spikes every day at certain times of the day. Also you'll notice whether or not they're posting on weekends. Many brands do just the nine to five normal business hours, leaving a huge opportunity. I can't remember, I believe it's LinkedIn and um, Facebook, some of the highest engagement is found on the weekends and also on email marketing. Saturday mornings when your kids are at soccer or whatnot, there tends to be a big spike of people going through social posts, cleaning out their what I would call social inboxes. And a lot of brands miss this because they don't realize that people are online on Saturdays. Okay. So that's number two. And then engagement rate with fans is really big. So find out based on a certain number of posts. You can choose 10 of their top posts. You can choose all of the 100 you've sampled. Find out the amount of engagement by engagement. Let's just take Facebook, but every platform has similar likes, comments, shares. We do weighted shares or weighted likes for that. So likes are basically have a value of one comments because they're much more involved and they take more social capital, a weight of five shares the biggest of all. You're sharing it with your private network, weight of 10. Add them all together with that multiplication and figure out what the average number of likes or engagement per post and then an average for all their posts together. And it gives you an idea of how engaging their content is with their fans. You can take that one step further to find out how much they engage based on their follower their entire follower count, so that takes into account if they're only getting 100 likes on a post, which sounds like a lot based on a certain platform, but they have a million fans based on 100 likes for a million fan base, that's still incredibly low and allows you to compare brands easily. So a brand that may only get 100 likes on a post as well, but they only have 500 fans, the engagement rate based on their follower count would be much higher and actually is engaging more of their audience. Now, of course, Facebook with low organic reach can skew this, so can sponsored posts. But the idea here is it still gives you a much better picture of just the raw, how many times are their posts liked.
0: And you have to do it this way because you don't have access to reach when you're doing competitive analysis. And that would be a better That's metric right. is how exposed, but you can't do it. So this is a good approximation.
2: Right. Uh, Next, I would say, is finding out what type of content they're posting. You know, over time, we've heard on different platforms what kind of content performs well. For instance, on Facebook, it was always photos for the longest time, now videos, although that's up for debate. But still, the idea here is you can see what your competition is, is posting and what type of engagement they're getting on those posts. So, for instance, we just did one on LinkedIn, and the brand we were looking at posted primarily link posts and getting pretty decent response on that engagement. They only posted one tenth or ten percent of that amount of photo posts, and they got ten times the engagement on that. So it gives you as a as a content or as a digital marker an idea, especially if you're starting out, like, hey, look, our competitors post links all the time which are easy you can just throw your blog post links up there but look they post photos they get 10 times the engagement and they only post 10 percent as many so the idea is you could focus more on photos here and get a lot more engagement assuming you had a strong call to action And there's also other things to see, if they're running contests or endorsements, are they reposting other brands, are they curating or not, meaning are they posting others' content they find on the web and giving attribution, writing sort of wrapper posts around them. gives you a lot of idea of how you can run a digital marketing campaign a lot more cleanly with a lot less effort.
0: What's a metric that a client feels like they have to represent? I mean, in the end, part of the audience for this competitive analysis is the social team. But my guess is that some of it gets reported upstream as well. And so what metrics are they having to report? Do they need vanity metrics? Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, vanity metrics still matter. They shouldn't, but they do. Everybody still wants to know they number one and they're the easiest one to explain. It's really hard to explain engagement rate per fan per follower, for instance. You have to explain a formula. You have to explain um, what engagement is. You have to explain weighted, average, you know, like the weights you put on each of those, and then dividing it by a total fan count to get a number and then comparing that number. That's great, but that requires a lot of explanation. Saying your Facebook page has 100,000 fans compared to your competitor that has 80,000, every executive goes, Ooh, we're 20% better. Um, so they should have been dead five years ago as a real measure of true value, but they're not. And just like everybody always wants to be number one, they're the easiest way to say number one. So I would say yes, growth and, you know, fan or follower count and vanity metrics still matter, but they matter for the wrong reasons, but you should still report them.
1: I can't remember. Quality is a lot more important than quantity and followers these days too.
2: Right. That's for sure. And they're also very easy to graph over time, so they tend to always show up in in graphs. Another thing that's very important to track is also volume. So this requires social listening tools. I'm going to use Radiant 6 as an example, but Sprinkler's probably even better at this. Finding out the sort of total number of social mentions that a brand has. You can also use socialmention.com, I guess. It's not as robust. But it's an easy way to find campaigns that they're running, especially ones that are promoted. So to use an example we had in the past, we had a a brand we worked with and a competing brand that had, I believe, a factor of 10 more social mentions than the brand we were tracking. And our brand was killing it. So it was surprising to see that they had such a huge volume. And it turned out that within their product, they actually had a program that allowed people to get free versions of their software simply by sharing their experience for the pre-can message on these platforms. Um, And the more they shared, the more free licenses they got. So, of course, everybody shared. And it was about 80% of this brand's traffic, but we're talking hundreds of thousands of messages per month were being sent out on this brand's behalf. They were all over the place. So it's an easy way to determine, hey, look what they're doing. How could we capitalize on this? Or how could we benefit as well? So finding total volume of messages using a social listening tool is also really important.
1: So I'm always interested in what types of content are working, uh, what topics people care about, and which ones are just consistently bombing, and to start thinking about why that is. What types of posts are working too, like is, uh, is video a good medium for an audience? Uh, do they prefer photo posts or link posts? which ones are driving more clicks for people, looking for opportunities, like what are competitors doing that you could do better? Uh, How can you take an idea like Happy was just talking about and do something even better with it? I always look to see whether a brand is producing their own content or if they're curating. Uh, It's interesting to see whether it looks like social is operating as its own silo or if it's part of a larger content marketing plan that has some kind of business goal behind it. And across an industry, it's really interesting to see how engaged communities are and whether uh, whether that reflects on the content or the way it's being positioned or maybe the industry itself. And it can give you a good idea, a good industry benchmark for how well you're engaging your own uh, community. So are you
0: saying you'd take an industry average across all the accounts, across all the competitors?
1: Yeah. Well, the accounts that matter, at least, like Cappy said, you can end up with like Dozens and dozens. So.
2: Another important benefit of doing competitive analysis is finding out, sort of post categorization, what type of content your competitors are posting. Are they posting primarily promotional messages? Do they post company news? Is it just full of press releases? Do they share blog content? Do they do product announcements? Or do they actually talk to their community with helpful sort of support messages or handle problems publicly. This is really interesting when you see brands that traditionally uh, do poorly on social and then you go look at some of their accounts and you find out that there's zero engagement and 80% of their posts are nothing but promotional, meaning click here to get our white paper, click here to download this, click here for a trial it's all broadcast and no engagement so you try to need to strike a balance between the different types of content you post obviously your ultimate goal is to get people to convert to do something even if you're not selling something you want them to ultimately go to your website or buy something or download something but you need to balance those requests with enough back to the community that you're providing value to them without the ask And a lot of brands do that very poorly, and it's pretty easy to find, especially if you take like a bucket of 100 posts and quickly categorize them based on these uh, different – and you can choose what buckets you want to place them in. But a good example is just like promotional company news, help or support, general technology or general industry news, et cetera, and sort of bucket those, and you can find out how they're engaging with their family.
0: All right. So what kind of tools can I use to do this?
2: Well... There are several you can use. That's as much as you want to spend, right? You can go up to the uh, tools like DataSift, which are very expensive, I believe like $40,000, 40000 a year, which give you access to pretty much every platform and their raw feeds from every platform. So you can suck them all in and do whatever you want with them. But you can also do a lot of it manually. So I would go down in order of cost would be something large, like a DataSift or Adobe Marketing Cloud, the one that includes Omniture and their social listening tool, down through Salesforce and Radian 6 Sprinkler, Nielsen, all these other tools that do The problem with these large suites, though, is that none of them do everything well. They do things, like one part generally really well, and they do the rest really not so well. So, for instance, back in the day with Radian 6, it was incredible for Twitter because they sucked in every single tweet. So Twitter's API only gave you sort of a snapshot of what Twitter decided. Now they've just changed that with their enterprise partners you can get the full feed forever in their entire data warehouse. But that just happened. But for the longest time, Radiant 6 had every tweet ever made. Assuming you paid just an extra $100, you got access to the whole platform. It was amazing. Their Facebook support was terrible because it went through the Facebook API, and their Google Plus support was non-existent. So you need to sort of balance what features matter the most, and it's really important because these big suites come in and they sell you this wonderful set of stuff But they do sort of 60% of what you need, and the other 40% is critical and may not meet your needs. So the next tier down is to sort of cobble your own thing together. Excel is still amazing. A lot of people don't realize the power Excel has. Just pivot tables alone, sucking raw data. Every single platform that I can think of out there pretty much offers an export feed from your platform. pages that you're an admin um, or your accounts. Of course, it's harder to get competitors for those you can use sites like socialmention.com or as we've done you can write though not necessarily, you know, in line with terms of service, you can use stuff like greasemonkey on firefox which are client-side scripting and actually pull posts from pages yourself manually without going through an API or you can also use the API on all these to pull them in too. Uh, there are limitations to that, of course. And especially in the case of Twitter, there are you know, rate limiting things you have to get around, but there's plenty of uh, suggestions and instructions on the web of how to write code that gets around these. But there's a number of ways. You could spend $0 just using normal export from data APIs and Excel to sort and create all your data, or a free copy of something like Tableau for personal use to get beautiful data visualizations. For all of these or you can spend as much as you want if you want data from every platform and you have the budget to support it so really the, the sky's the limit
1: yeah i think the best tool that you can use for x ex- is uh, is excel because i'll look at some posts and it looks like it's one category but after i click through the link and i kind of look at what they're sharing and i realize that it It's been positioned in an odd way, maybe, and it's not really what it seemed like. Like, maybe it looked like it was a uh, promotional post, but then when you get in there, then it's some sort of more educational content or something. And so it's interesting to see. I can't imagine that a tool would be very good at understanding those nuances.
0: So for post-categorization, it requires a lot of manual work, Yes. You this out.
1: Right. Yeah, because a lot of tools
2: offer stuff like sentiment, which every tool says they're 70% accurate. Every single one we've ever had a demo of or you says we're 70% accurate. When I manually check it, they're usually between 40 and 50% accurate, which means you have the same amount of luck flipping a coin as you do trusting their huh. data. Hmm. Um, So I think Excel or Google Sheets, whatever you like, a spreadsheet program is very nice because it allows you to put all of the content from whatever social traffic they're getting right next to each other in a very compact form. True, you don't see imagery necessarily, not easily, but to get as far as textual information right next to each other, easy to scan, and all the data is lined up very very easily, so it allows quick comparisons. So I think it's much easier to deal with them in a um, in a spreadsheet form than it is to sort of browse through in a lot of these tools or on the platforms themselves, uh, oh, just definitely. because the, the speed is so so much slower using the tools available mm. by the platforms.
0: All right. Well, just to wrap up, anything else that you want to, uh, to summarize for competitive analysis? Anything?
2: Yeah, I would say, well... One thing that's important is that there's multiple audiences for competitive analysis. You'll find invariably that everybody wants the data. The problem is you can have a hundred slide deck full of data and nobody likes it because it doesn't talk to them. So however you get the data, I think you need to create at least three different versions of the findings. One is maybe a three-to-five-slide deck, very high-level discovery for your executive team. They want to know vanity metrics. They want to know how they're doing compared to their competitors, and most importantly, how you can affect business value with this information. That's different in every single competitive analysis, but that's the most important thing that goes in that deck. doesn't need to be long, three-to-five slides. Next is other teams within the organization, one of the greatest things competitive analysis can do, like when we were mentioning earlier, I mentioned that brand that was running that promotion, giving away free software. That's incredibly valuable for like a product marketing team or a product management team. They want to know those kind of things. Any type of learnings like that goes in a deck or goes in some format to them, but they don't need to know the minutiae of engagement per post or how you know what post categorization is. They don't care. They want to know large themes that affect their job and then the third deck would be for the marketing or digital team to give an idea of how to drive content, content strategy, um, digital strategy, post cadence, uh, and you know like content calendars, that type of thing, really for driving their own business. So there's really three different audiences, and one report doesn't serve them all, so I think you need multiple. Okay,
0: Zach?
1: That's a great idea. I like the way that you're breaking it up where uh – everybody gets the information that they need and you repurpose this one set of work that you've done for everyone in a way that really matters to them.
2: Yep, I think that's really important. And another thing is to periodically update it. As Zach said, it, you know, it's time consuming. It's a manual process to categorize posts. It's also a manual process to go through all these accounts and find the ones that quote unquote matter to you. But yeah. once you've done that work, if you have to revisit it, it's a lot quicker. That's Not true. super quick, but you know, let's say it's, quicker, 60, depending upon, because you know exactly what you need to collect and how to get it, then it's a matter of refreshing the data. So after that, I would say, make sure you update it every six months or if you can quarterly, but that's a pretty high resource requirement. Thanks, guys. Great discussion today. Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to the Fresh Thoughts podcast from Thought Labs. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. Remember, if it's not fresh, it's just awful. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Thought Labs. And thanks for listening.